السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن ولا قال رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل الأكتة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم زدنا علما All praise and thanks is due to Allah Azza wa Jal Peace and salutations upon Muhammad ibn Abdullah Salawatullahi wa salamuhu alayh Peace and salutations upon his family, upon his friends And upon all those who try to emulate him until the end of time First hadith that we'll be dealing with tonight Is that which is compulsory for the fasting person to leave off وعنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من لم يدع كول الزور والعمل به والجهل فليس لله حاجة في أن يدع طعامه وشرابه رواه البخاري وأبو داود ولفظه النيس حديث is narrated by Abu Hurairah رضي الله عنه and the previous hadith, right, the last hadith that we did last week, was narrated by Abu Huraira as well. So what the author does, if the next hadith, right, like the hadith that we're doing now, is narrated by the same narrator, he doesn't mention his name. He just says, وَعَنْهُ قَالَ قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ And this was the practice of the muhaddithun. If you look at, Books like in the Jami of Imam At-Tirmidhi and others, you will find this exact pattern. That hadith comes from Abu Huraira, the next hadith in the chapter is also narrated by him. Then they just start the hadith by Anhu, they don't mention his name. So sometimes people might think there's a mistake in the book. Because where's the name? But if you know the signs of hadith and you will know that, it's the same narrator as the previous hadith and Allah knows best. So Abu Huraira radiyallahu an, he says that the messenger of Allah peace be upon him said, whoever does not give up forged speech and evil actions and does not abandon foolishness, Allah is not in need of his leaving food and of him leaving his drink. Meaning that his fasting won't be Accepted, and we're going to come to the explanations. Hadith is narrated by Imam Al Bukhari. So it is compulsory for a fasting person to protect their fasts, meaning stay away from the things that is mentioned in the hadith, stay away from evil talk, stay away from evil things, stay away from looking at haram. Stay away from getting angry. And what this hadith implies, what this hadith means is that he will lose reward <coughs> if he does not protect his fasting. So here's two things. Number one, as far as the person is fasting and him fulfilling or she fulfilling the obligation of the fard fast, then this is complete. They have done that obligation. But as for them getting reward, they will lose reward. So see the difference. 
It does not mean that they did not fast. They fasted. Because now someone swears and I said, okay, so I'm not fasting so I can go eat. No. You must still fast. Because he still needs to fulfill that obligation. And this reminds me of the hadith where the Prophet sallallahu he says that someone who was involved in intoxicants, his salah won't be accepted for 40 days. Does this mean that he mustn't make salah? He must still make salah. But his reward right, won't be as high or he might not be rewarded, but it is still far for him to make salah. So like this, it is still far for him to fast. He needs to fast. He must fast. But his reward will be less. And another important point is that a person must be staying away from evil actions all the time. A person mustn't be lying all the time. A person mustn't be involved in stealing, swearing, etc. throughout the year. But Ramadan is a special time. And one should take more care of how we speak, of the actions that we do inside the month of Ramadan. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he mentioned And Qawluzur is all speech that moves away from the truth and reaches falsehood. For example, lying, swearing, backbiting. Carrying tales and shahada to zur, false testimony. Right? So lying, we all know what is lying. Swearing, we all know what is swearing. Backbiting, yani riba, we all know what is riba. Carrying tales, namima, we all know what is this as well. False testimony. Kaulu zur. Sometimes people fall into this one. And they don't know that they are actually falling into false testimony. So what is false testimony? False testimony is something is like myself coming to a particular brother saying, you know what, man, write on a page for me. Whatever it might be that, okay, I studied by you for five years. Right? And I'm a student of you. Because I want to apply something to a university, whatever it might be. If he writes that, that is now false testimony. Because I didn't even study with him for a day. And this obviously goes for so many other things. Many people practice this in their daily lives without realizing that this is false testimony. This is kawlu zur or shahada to zur. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he warned us against giving false testimony. The next one, the Prophet mentioned amal az-zur or amal zur All actions that is haram and, and causes people to be an enemy to one another. So for example, oppression. Oppression is haram. Cheating. Stealing. Now all this, it has to do with two people or two groups of people 
meaning that it's more than one person. So, this action of wrong, right, this amalu zur, right, is all haram actions, and also it causes enmity and hatred, and it causes people to be enemies. If you oppress someone, is the person going to be your friend? I don't think so. If you cheat, you steal from someone, he's not going to be your friend. So this causes enmity. What also falls under this category is listening and watching haram. Listening to haram and watching haram. This falls under the category of al-amal az-zur. Actions which is incorrect. And you might be wondering how does that Hadith that we mentioned. How does it fit into the fiqh of fasting? The reason why? Because from the other book that we are doing, Buluhu Maram, this is a hadith that the Sheikh brings in his book. So we need to mention the hadith. The next hadith deals with kissing and embracing one's spouse whilst fasting. عن عائشة رضي الله عنها قالت كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقبل وهو صائم ويباشر وهو صائم ولكنه أملككم لإربه متفق عليه ولفظ مسلم وزاد في رواية في رمضان Aisha radiallahu anha, she narrates that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would kiss and embrace his wives whilst fasting for he had the most control of all of you over his desires. This hadith is mutafakun alayhi, it is agreed upon and the wording is from Muslim. Who added in a narration in Ramadan. Right, so this hadith is dealing with kissing and embracing one's spouse. So before we carry on, right, we went through the hadith. What do you think? Is a certain Exceptions to this rule is this rule general. What do you think? Nam Khalid. Nam. Yes. Okay. Taib. Anyone else want to add something? Okay. So from this hadith, right, we take it is permissible to kiss and embrace one spouse while fasting. That's point number one. Point number two, this would not lessen one's reward. So husband, he kisses his wife. His wife kisses her husband. He goes off to work, goes to the masjid, whatever, and he's fasting. We're going to come to that. So one, it does not 
lessen one's reward. It's the same as someone that he has a spouse and he doesn't kiss his spouse, he doesn't embrace his spouse at all while fasting. The next point. What is meant by al-mubashara? Right, does the hadith mention, mention that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he says that وَيُبَاشِرُ وَهُوَ صَائِمُ That he embraced and he fondled his spouses whilst he was fasting. But what does this mean? So the ulama they explain and they say that embracing yani, and fondling means the touching of skin on skin. For he, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he had the most control over all his desires. Sheikh Uthaymeen rahimallahu ta'ala, he mentions and he says, there is nothing wrong with a man playing with his wife or a wife playing with a husband by saying words of affection as well whilst fasting. On the condition that there is no danger of either of them falling into desire or falling or either of them falling into climaxing. Right? Is that understood? So if there is a desire and they fear right that we will see this a bit later, but they fear that this kissing or the fondling is going to lead to something further. Right? And then they need to stop. Then it becomes haram for them. Right? So here he says, he carries on and he says, if there is the danger that they might reach a climax, as in the case of one who has strong desires and who fears that if he plays with his wife, his fast might be broken, by his ejaculating, then it becomes haram for him to do that. So now it's not permissible. Because he is exposing his fast to the risk of being broken. And the same applies if he fears that he might emit madi. Right? This is found in Asharh al-Mumti. So yeah, I would like to add as well, so it's not advisable for someone that maybe he just gets married a week before Ramadan, two weeks before Ramadan, a month before Ramadan, to practice on this hadith. Because he might end up in trouble. <laughs> right? If a man kisses his wife whilst he is fasting, and he emits money, then he has invalidated his fast, and he has to make up that day's fast after Ramadan. This is the opinion of Ibn Qudama. Right? Or Ibn Qudama rather he says that if the person fasts, fasting he kisses his wife. And he ejaculates, then his fast is broken. And there is no difference amongst the ulama regarding this. Now. 
that becomes a tuna pot, if you have to put it one day that you have to just a case of it, whatever. And it can't be part of the month of Ramadan. Why? We're talking about Ramadan now. We're talking about Ramadan. In Ramadan, unless you end up in a big tuna pot, If he's in Ramadan and he kisses his spouse, yeah. the month of Ramadan, mm-hmm. and if he ejaculated, he needs to repay back that day. Mm-hmm. So after Ramadan, he owes a day. Yeah. So if Ramadan was 30 days, then he only fasted 29. So he must pay back one day, and that will be after Ramadan, before the next Ramadan. But Ramadan has a month, right? Yes. I'm not I'm not understanding the Yes? Yes? Yes, because it's a payback. So yeah, because she must pay that back. It's like someone that's sick in Ramadan. If you ill in Ramadan, you didn't fast for a week. You owe that week's fast outside Ramadan. It's waji for you to pay it back. It doesn't, it doesn't mean because it's outside Ramadan that's a sunnah. That's still wajib for you. I don't know if uncle can remember. I think it was last week. Yes, in last week's class. Or the week before. When we spoke about breaking of fast, can you remember? And then I said that if the only th- that if you have to pay in a fast or you made a vow then those fast you can't just break. Like how if you are fasting a sunnah. So outside Ramadan, if you owe in a Ramadan fast, you must it's still taken as a wajib fast. And Allah knows best. And the next point we want to bring is that he does not have to offer expiation. Meaning he does not have to pay a kafara. does not have to feed extra people all of those things, all he has to do is just needs to pay back that one day. This is according to the correct opinion. Ibn Hazm, rahimallahu ta'ala, he says that the fast is not broken as there is no proof stating that one's fast would break. So Ibn Hazm says with regards to someone, he kisses his wife, he fondles with his wife, and he ejaculates, he doesn't have to pay back that fast. Because there's no dalil, there's no ayah of the Quran, and there's no sunnah, that hadith, that says that the person needs to pay back that day. And some of the ulama, of the contemporary ulama, they agree with this opinion as well, and they say that this seems to be the strongest opinion, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. To be on the safe side, right? Which is ahwat, to be on the safe side. If you fell into the situation, it's better to fast a day. And Allah knows best. The next hadith we are going to look at. There is three ahadith under this chapter heading. And before we get into this chapter heading, There is a lot of difference of opinion amongst the ulama under this chapter. 
And this is the ruling of cupping. Right? Hijama. So what is cupping? Cupping is you go to someone, you get two types of cupping, you get a wet cupping and you get a dry cupping. Where they basically make slits in your head, in your back, wherever actually you need it to be. And then they use like a cup with a form of a suction, correct? And then they will suck out all the dry, bad blood from your body. عن ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم احتجم وهو محرم واحتجم وهو صائم رواه البخاري The first hadith The second hadith وعن شداد بن أوس رضي الله عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أتى على رجل بالبقي وهو يحتجم في رمضان فقال أفطر الحاجم والمحجوم رواه الخمسة إلا ترمذي وصحه أحمد وابن خزيمة وابن حبان الثالث حديث وأن أنس بن مالك رضي الله عنه قال أول ما كرهت الحجامة للصائم أن جعفر ابن أبي طالب احتجم وهو صائم فمر به النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فقال أفطر هذان ثم رخص النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم بعد في الحجامة للصائم وكان أنس يحتجم وهو صائم رواه دار قتني Now let's look at the translation of the three ahadith. The first hadith is narrated by Ibn Abbas. He said that the messenger of Allah, peace be upon him, had himself cupped while he was in a state of ihram. And had himself cupped while he was in a state of fasting. Narrated by Imam al-Bukhari. The next hadith. Narrated by Shaddad ibn Aus. He narrated that the Prophet, peace be upon him, said, or that the Prophet, peace be upon him, came across a man in Al-Baqi. And where is Al-Baqi? In Medina. It's the graveyard in Medina. Who was having himself cupped in Ramadan and said to him, the one who cups and the one who is being cupped have both broken their fast. Narrated by the five Imams, except for Imam At-Tirmidhi, Imam Ahmad ibn Huzayma, and ibn Hibban, regarded this hadith as Sahih. The third hadith, Anas narrated, the first time Kapin was disliked for the one who is fasting, when Ja'far ibn Abi Talib, had himself cupped while fasting and the messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala came across him and said, those two have broken the fast, meaning Ja'far and the man who was cupping him. But later on, Muhammad, peace be upon him, he allowed cupping for the one who is fasting. Anas used to have himself cupped while he was fasting. Narrated by Imam Ad-Darukutni, who regarded this hadith as a strong hadith. 
other ulama other ulama regarded this hadith as munkar and shad and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best the hadith of Ibn Abbas right this is the first hadith and had himself cupped while he was fasting proves that it is permissible to have cupping done whilst fasting this is the view of the majority of the scholars this is the view of Imam Abu Hanifa this is the view of Imam Malik this is the view of Imam Ash-Shafi'i this was also the view of Imam Al-Bukhari and this was the view of Imam Ibn Hazm so this view was that it is permissible to have cupping done whilst you are fasting. So all three madhaib, they agree except Imam Ahmad. Except the Hanabila. This. And obviously Imam Al-Bukhari, he had this opinion that he had this opinion as well because he narrates this hadith this was the first hadith that was that we spoke about the next hadith hadith number two the hadith of Shaddad ibn Aus the one who cups and the one who is being cupped have both broken their fast so this gives the Opposite meaning. The first meaning says, or the first hadith says that it's permissible. The second hadith of Shaddad ibn Aus that we are doing now says that it nullifies one's fast. The reason for this is that they say that one will become extremely weak. Correct? So if you fast and you go for cupping, you are going to become extremely weak because you are losing a lot of blood. So we can understand the person that they're doing the cupping on. He's losing a lot of blood. So, okay, his fast is broken according to this opinion. But now why the one that is doing the cupping? Why is his fast broken? So someone comes to me and I start cupping on him. Okay, his fast is broken. But why is my fast broken? So the ulama say, as for the one who is doing the cupping, the reasoning that they give, they say, because he is pulling the blood of that person. And Allah knows best. This is the view of Imam Ahmad. This is the view of Ibn Taymiyyah. This is the view of Ibn Qayyim. And this was regarded as correct by a number of scholars the Lajna to Daima, the standing committee of Saudi Arabia, this is the view that they have adopted as well, that cupping breaks once fast. This was also the view of Sheikh Salih ibn Uthaymin rahimallah and many of the other contemporary ulama. However, there are some ulama as well of Ahlul Sunnah that held the view that cupping does not break one's fast. 
So this is a mas'ala of ikhtilaf. This is a mas'ala of difference of opinions amongst the ulama. Dating not just from last year or 10 years ago or 15 years ago, but going back to the classical ulama and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So a contemporary mas'ala that comes up, can a fasting person draw blood? So he goes to the doctor, he feels a bit ill, the doctor says, you know what, you need to go draw blood, you need to go pull blood. Is this allowed or isn't this allowed? Those who says cupping is not allowed for a fasting person, right now listen carefully. So now you need to go back. Those who says that cupping is not allowed for a fasting person says if one is drawing a lot of blood, then it is not allowed. Right? So obviously because the PowerPoint isn't working, but I had, for the example, the word not and the word a lot in a different color and in bold. So to not be clear. Let's read it again. So you don't have any confusion. Those who says cupping is not allowed for a fasting person says if one is drawing a lot of blood, then it is not allowed. If you're drawing a little blood, so for example, you're just pricking, or for example, you go in and, you know, they take like just, what do you call this? A vial? Right? A vial? So you just take one vial, that's not a lot. But now you may be going to do Go donate blood. So now they're pulling out a bag or so. So this might be a lot. So according to this opinion, they won't allow that. As for those that allows cupping, they say drawing blood is permissible 100%, whether it's a lot or a little. Understand the difference. So here's something else I would like to highlight. That we looked at the main masala and that was the masala of cupping. Now someone comes to you and they says, but now Sheikh, can a person draw blood? So the Sheikh goes to the Quran, he doesn't find any ayah. He goes to the hadith, he doesn't find any hadith. But he can trace this back to what? To the situation of cupping. The next masala, also a contemporary masala, as for bleeding from the nose, Bleeding from your teeth or a wound. Right? This won't invalidate the fast so long as if the blood from the nose or the blood from, if it's in your mouth, if you do not swallow the blood. Obviously, if you're going to swallow, then your fast is going to be invalidated. But as for a wound, so for example, someone, right, may Allah protect us, or he was in an accident. And he maybe had a gash on his head. Is his fast broken? His fast is not broken. It bleeds because this was from a wound. The next mas'ala we're going to look at. Also an important mas'ala. And that is the ruling of Kohan. Whilst fasting. What is the English word? Like eyeliners and 
What's the English word? Eyeline. Okay, طيب. Right? The ruling of Kahal whilst fasting. And Aisha radiyallahu anha anna nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam iktahala fi ramadhan wa huwa saimun rawahu ibnu رواه ابن ماجة بإسناد ضعيف قال إمام الترمذي لا يصح فيه شيء عائشة رضي الله عنها she narrated that the messenger of Allah peace be upon him applied kuhl to his eyes whilst he was fasting this hadith is related by ibn Maja with a weak chain of narrators according to Imam al-Tirmidhi nothing authentic has been related from the prophet peace be upon him Concerning this issue, applying kohel, right? Applying kohel, applying eye drops, etc. And we will touch on eye drops a bit later. The first opinion: it is not permissible to use kohel as it nullifies the fast. This is the opinion of the Hanabila. It's not the opinion of Imam Ahmad. This is the opinion of the Hanbali Madhab. Remember we said the Madhab developed as time went on. This was the opinion of Imam At-Tirmidhi. Why do you think this will be the opinion of Imam At-Tirmidhi? Let's go back. This will obviously be his opinion. Because he says there was nothing authentic narrated from the Prophet ﷺ. And also Imam At-Tirmidhi, or this was narrated, he narrates from Sufyan ibn Uyayna. And Abdullah ibn Mubarak, he had the same opinion, and Ishaq ibn Raghuya. And they all narrated a hadith of Ma'bad that said the Prophet, peace be upon him, commanded the apply of Kohl mixed with musk at the time of sleep. He said, a man who is fasting should abstain from it. Abu Dawood, he said that Yahya ibn Ma'in said to me that this hadith is munkar. It contradicts the sound narrations. So a munkar hadith, just to simplify the whole issue, a hadith, if someone says the hadith is munkar, then what they mean that this hadith, it contradicts other ahadith that is stronger, that has stronger chains of narrators. So according to Yahya ibn Ma'in and according to others, they say that this hadith, where the Prophet peace be upon him, said that a man who is fasting should abstain from it, meaning from using the kuhl. He says this hadith is munkar. Now, why do you think that the ulama will say that a fasting person cannot use kohan? For what reason? Anyone? Okay. (laughs) That's an interesting one. Okay, but so someone is in iktikaf. And he's alone in a mosque. So why can't he put it on? Someone wears sunglasses all day. In the fast. Anyone else? 
why why do they say that you mustn't wear it? For those that say you mustn't wear eyeliner, kohal. Sorry? Beauty fine. Okay, we passed that, alhamdulillah, and it's not the answer that I'm looking for. The reason why they say that the eye is an, is an opening that will get the taste in your throat. This is their reason. Right? However, and we'll come to this a bit later. This, right? So that's the first opinion. The second opinion, they say it is permissible to use kohal, and this is the opinion of the Shafi'iyah, the Hanafiyah. This was the opinion of Ibn Taymiyyah. This was the opinion of his student, Ibn Qayyim. This was the opinion of our contemporary ulama. And this seems to be the correct opinion. This seems to be the rajih opinion. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Why did I tell you? That this was the opinion of the Hanabila and it was not the opinion of Imam Ahmad. And also, I said that developed, this opinion came into the mother as the mother developed. Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimallah ta'ala, he was known as a Hanbali scholar. He was a Hanbali. But he doesn't follow his mother in this opinion. Which again shows us and teaches us an important lesson. That if a scholar or a student of knowledge, if he finds that the hadith is more authentic to him, the hadith is stronger, he understands the mas'ala better, and it goes against the madhab that he was brought up in or the madhab that he studied, then it is his right to leave this madhab. And he must leave it for that opinion. And I give you an example. Imam al-Nawawi rahimallahu ta'ala, according to the Shafi madhab, the eating of camel meat does not break your wudu. This is the opinion of the Shafi madhab. But Imam al-Nawawi, was regarded as one of the senior ulama in the Shafi Madhab. He believed and he gave fatwa to the effect, or this was his opinion, that camel meat breaks your wudu. But he was still a Shafi. But to him the ahadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, that whosoever eats camel meat, his wudu is broken, is authentic and the hadith is clear. So this was his opinion. So like that you find that the ulama, they maybe follow the usul of the madhab in cert- generally, but at certain times they would leave the madhab and there is nothing wrong with this. So based on this opinion, the issue of using kohal is permissible obviously. The scholars, they say that the using of I, listen carefully, of eye drops and ear drops is permissible. Can you repeat it again? The using of eye drops and the using of ear drops. Am I missing something? Nose drops. So why am I not including nose drops in that too? Because nose has an opening. Correct? So eye drops and ear drops, 
permissible. As for nose drops, it nullifies the fast if it reaches the throat based on the following hadith. Anyone perhaps know the next hadith that we're going to look at? Sorry? Vomiting? Not vomiting. That's still going to come. <laughs> We're going to come to that. That's part. Right? Anyone perhaps know the hadith? No. The Prophet, peace be upon him, he said, Snuff water up into the nose deeply unless you are fasting. Right? Narrated by Imam At-Tirmidhi and classified as Sahih by Sheikh Albani. So from this hadith, we realize and we learn that you can or that the Prophet encouraged us to sniff or snuff up the water deeply into your nose unless you are fasting. So here, this is where the ulama, they get their proof that if you are going to put anything in your nose whilst you are fasting, and you are going to get the taste in your throat, it's going to come down in your throat, then your fast is what? Your fast is? And you must pay back the day. Sheikh Uthaymin rahimallahu ta'ala said in his fatawa Ramadaniya that if nose drops, listen carefully, if nose drop reaches the stomach, or the throat, then they break the fast, because the Prophet, peace be upon him, and then the Sheikh quotes the hadith that I quoted now. Then the Sheikh carries on and he says, so it is not permissible, it is not permissible for the fasting person to put drops in his nose that can reach his stomach or his throat. But as for nose drops that will not reach them, then they do not break his fast. With regards to eye drops and also the use of kohal and ear drops, they do not break the fast of a fasting person. End of the fatwa of the shaykh. Does everyone understand this masala? Is it clear? Is there any questions before we move on? So your, your allergy that you've got, Naam, Sheikh. But that nasal spray has different ways of doing it. Most of, most of them says you've got to have a deep to make sure that you, it goes down. Okay, and then you have the taste in your throat? Yes. So then you can use it before you, in the morning, before Fajr, and you use it in the evening, yeah. after Maghrib. Mm-hmm. Allah knows best. So, as you can see that the last two or three ahadith that we, that we looked at tonight dealt with things that invalidates fast and things that doesn't invalidate fast. So, what I decided to do is that towards for the next few minutes of our class, and I will start with this again next week, is that we're going to look at some of the things that invalidates one's fast. 
So things that invalidate the fast are of two types. Some of the things that invalidate the fast involve things coming out of the body, such as intercourse, deliberate vomiting, menstruation, and cupping. Now obviously, where we got this fatwa from, or where I got my information, this is the author's belief that cupping breaks once fast. These things that come out of the body, they weaken the body. Hence, Allah Azza wa Jal described them as being things that invalidate the fast. So that the fasting person will not combine the weakness that results from his fasting with the weakness that results from these things. And thus be harmed by his fast or his fast is no longer a moderate fast. My beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, generally, Ramadan, you get weak. Correct or not? Don't you, no matter how strong you are, no matter how fit you are, when it comes to the last 10 days, when it comes to that last 5 days, that last 3 days, the body, it starts to feel fatigue. You feel weak. So here, the author is saying that things that is going to cause the body to become more weak than it is already because of fasting, then these things are, and he mentioned them, for example, intercourse, deliberate vomiting, menstruation, and cupping. So this is one of the types. And some of the things that invalidate the fast involve things entering the body. Those things that we dealt with, they were coming out of the body. So what enters the body? For example, something such as food and drink. If the fasting person eats or drinks, he does not achieve the purpose of is fasting. There are seven things. You can take note of this. There are seven things that breaks the fast. And we're going. To, I'm just going to name the seven for you, and then we're going to look at each one. I think and for this week we're going to look at number one and two, and carry on from next week. So number one, intercourse. Number two, masturbation. Number three, eating and drinking. Number four, anything that is regarded, regarded as coming under the same heading as eating and drinking. Number five, letting of blood by means of cupping and the like. Number six, vomiting deliberately. And number seven, menstruation and nifas. Number one, intercourse. This is the most serious and the most sinful of the things that invalidates the fast. Whoever has intercourse during the day in Ramadan deliberately and of his or her own free will 
in which the two circumcised parts meet and the right then what happens his fast is invalid whether the person ejaculates or not he has to repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he has to complete the day of fasting meaning he cannot eat nor can he drink until sunset he needs to make up that day's fast after Ramadan he will fast a day and he will have to pay a severe expiation which we will explain later on the evidence for this is the hadith narrated by Abu Huraira radiallahu an who said a man came to the Prophet peace be upon him and said I am doomed O Messenger of Allah the Messenger of Allah asked him why are you doomed I'm just reading the English of this. One of the hadith, either next week or the week after, is this specific hadith that the author brings in, Buluhul Maram. So he asked him, why are you doomed? He said, I had intercourse with my wife during the day in Ramadan. The Prophet wasallam said, can you free a slave? He said, no. The Prophet wasallam asked him, can you fast for two consecutive months? Right? 60 days. He said, no. He said, can you feed 60 poor people? He said, no. The hadith carries on. Nothing to go to the end of the hadith. This we will do when we come to that chapter. This hadith is narrated by Imam Bukhari and Muslim. The reason why I brought that hadith, because this shows you the expiation of someone that has intercourse with his spouse during the month of Ramadan that's what he needs to do and the end of that hadith is a very beautiful ending because right, we wait till we get there the second one the second thing that invalidates one's fast is the issue of masturbation this means causing ejaculation or climax by using one's hands, etc. The evidence that masturbation is one of the things that invalidates the fast is the words of Allah in the hadith Qudsi in which he says of the fasting person he gives up his food and drink and desire for my sake. Narrated by Imam al-Bukhari and Muslim causing ejaculation comes under the heading of the desire which the fasting person needs to give up. Whoever masturbates during the day of Ramadan has to repent to Allah and refrain from eating and drinking for the rest of the day and he has to make up that fast later on. It's a mas'ala. If he starts to masturbate and then he stops without ejaculating, he has to repent, but his fast is still valid. So he must make tawbah, but there was no ejaculation, so he still carries on fasting. And he does not have to make up this fast later, because he did not ejaculate. The fasting person should keep away from anything that provokes his desire and shun, and he needs to shun bad thoughts. Another mas'ala that comes up here with regards to the 
emission of madhi. Not money with regards to madhi, which is prostatic fluid. The most correct view is that this does not invalidate the fast. Does not break your fast. So what is madhi? Madhi is a sticky white fluid that is emitted when a person is thinking of or desiring intercourse. Its emission is not accompanied by feelings of pleasure. It does not gush out in spurts and it is not followed by exhaustion. This may happen to men and women alike, although it is more common amongst females. This is the comment of Imam An-Nawawi, rahimallahu ta'ala, on the commentary of Sahih Muslim. My beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَسْتَحِي مِنَ الْحَقِّ That indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not shy of the truth. And this is part of our deen, that we learn this type of masaya, and what needs to be explained, we explain. So, no one should feel shy, no one should feel a bit uncomfortable. This is a direct translation of how the ulama, of how they wrote, and this is what you will find in the books. And even in the time of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, females would come to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And it's recorded in Sahih Ahadith that they would ask Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam questions regarding the Hayd and they would even explain to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam how the Hayd looks, etc., the color, and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he would answer them. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide and protect us. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive our shortcomings. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik ashadu wa la ilaha illa astawfiruka wa atubu ilayk.